exactly does it mean to share your hotness? We all have our own unique spark. We are burning out of control like a wildfire, attracting attention, but is it the right kind of attention? All around us are people who are campfires. They don't get as much attention, but their story, their signature spark, their heat that attracts us close to them, those stories need to be shared. On this podcast, we're sharing their stories, their stories of resilience, overcoming, how to find joy, happiness, everyday people who found their spark and made their life amazing. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Share Your Hotness with your host, Lita Green, and my guest today for part two, Christine Hull. We are going into, we talked about awareness and I think she almost got me crying last week. So we're super excited. And for those of you um, been waiting on the edge of your seats to learn more about how you can be more aware and most importantly, the solution, Christine, I'll let you take it away. Yeah. So in our first part, we were talking about dysfunctional relationships. And I think that's kind of a really good umbrella <laughs> Yeah, yeah. for where we've been and where we're going. And dysfunctional relationships, you know, codependency. So I did, you know, a lot of work with um, Al-Anon in my first marriage. Yeah. And Al-Anon and 12-step programs are what kind of got me turned back. And, and this is what was, it was so frustrating and, and counterintuitive for me to think that, you know, looking outside of me and seeing this complete mess, you know, and, you know, my drug addicted and, you know, went back to drug dealing. You know, I talked about that yeah. with that part. Um, yeah, you guys haven't listened to part one, please go listen yeah. to part one. You can come back. We'll be here. <laughs> yeah. And so as, you know, going into my fear, my control, that was the problem, not his behavior. And that was so difficult for me to switch the mirror, I guess, and look at my own ego response to his disease. Right. So right. I had to work on my disease and my disease um, is empowering because even though I'm kind of like, I don't know, you know, your reaction in thinking more about it, it's like, but that's the first step to recognizing your part of the problem. To it take is empowering your power. Yeah. Cause basically the 12 steps, step one is yeah. I am powerless over the alcoholic. In, right. In but basically. you are powerful over yourself. If you start saying, Ooh, this is my responsibility, even if it's ugly to look at. Well, and step two, a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity, not him. Right. Me to sanity. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Which is bringing in one of my favorite subjects, God, because you're never alone. Yeah. And so, so I did end up out of that insanity. And, um, and I did, I had about seven years single and during that time I was in my thirties and I did a lot of deep work. I, I went, ended up at a couple of Hay House conferences during that time. And so that was, you know, there was a lot going on with Hay House at the time that people might be familiar with. Like I got to Wayne Dyer actually walked through our you know, we were doing volunteer work at the conference. And, and Hay House, I'm familiar so, with. She wrote a lot of like affirmation exercises. Louise and- Hay. Yeah, Louise, Louise Hay, Hay yeah. founded Hay House. So I got to see her before she passed at one of the conferences. And and I learned about, and so one of my conferences I was at, um, Dr. Hawkins was there. And he's the, he developed, he did power versus force and put out this model or this map of consciousness. People find a lot, they use that a lot with like emotional, um, right. Right. Low frequency emotions up, you know, and climbing yeah, shame to hope to, yeah, exactly. And so that was all like kind of early two thousands. And, and that's also when I, I went to back in the day when Carol Tuttle was doing energy healing, um, she was the pioneer that opened up Utah basically with, with energy healing. Um, And so I got to be in her live trainings at the time too, and learned emotional freedom technique from her. So that was the phase of my healing. And I was, I was understanding like, there's a map to progressing 
through this. There's emotional tools. There's conscious thinking. Um, the movie came out, What the Bleep Do We Know? In about I haven't, that too. I've heard of that one, but I haven't seen it. Well, it inspired Quantum University. Literally, this one movie <laughs> inspired oh. the university I ended up going to later in 2015, about 12 years after the movie came out. And, and so it just, it, it positioned me those years single, those positioned me to evolve in a way that was new and it was new age, I guess you could even say. So yes. And then I met the guy that I married <laughs> in 2005. And so it was all around the same kind of, you know, I just came out of a Hay House conference, you know, and was like, I, Jerry and Esther Hicks were com they were coming out around then. Uh -huh. and, it. and and so it was basically law of attraction kind of stuff. And they and you know the the principles were get really clear on what you want to attract and then receive. So I kind of well, I knew I wanted someone who was more put together, obviously I'd been working for you years. You didn't want a drug addict that deals. No, I didn't really want a drug yeah. addict. That's, that's, uh, but, most, but you know, the fun thing is when you, um, when we're not clear on what we want and we're wanting something in reaction to something else. Yes. Um, was, should I not, should I not go further with that? So, we Oh no, you're getting like, you're right on. You're <laughs> yeah, right. On. I mean, um, you know, in my family, it's really interesting where you can see these family patterns repeat of, you know, running away from this abuser only then to become an abuser. And that is interesting. because when you're, when you don't, if, if it's just saying, oh, I don't want to be that, mm -hmm. then you're making choices, a reaction to that instead of making choices in what am I meant to become? What is my eternal potential? you know, which is leaving behind. I think it's really powerful to know that we are divine beings created by a loving God. I believe that we're children of God. And so more than anything that happened to us, that it's like turning our focus from this pain to this, what you might call consciousness or whatever, which I call the spirit. It said, turning to that, you can make choices, not in reaction to, but in line with what are my divine gifts. Yeah. There we go. Yes. So contrast. Perfect. Yes. So I had, I left, you know, I marriage number one, a lot of dysfunction. Um, it ended in, you know, he had to file bankruptcy. I just had to get out of the house because it became like the drug zone. I just yeah. had to leave and the house ended up getting foreclosed on. And that's your first and marriage. That was the first marriage. Right. So I'm like, just wanted to make it clear to yeah. <laughs> that the second marriage, I attracted a very successful businessman. So he had, um, you know, he basically positioned himself in a million dollar business by age, like 30, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so he was on, you know, he was on this climb of success when I met him and, and very different background raised in Utah, um, LDS family, return missionary, which is the LDS is an abbreviation for the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Okay. Yeah. And so very like in leadership roles and, and so, um, so very like solid citizen kind of thing. And so very different. So here's the other contrast though, is that I shared that, you know, I laugh that, you know, I married my drug dealer, but I, experienced a change of heart with the guy with my first marriage. Right. And he was an empath, which was why he continued to use is because that's how he didn't know how to shed the, all the feelings and emotions he was picking up and drugs yeah. and things. Right. So he was the empath. And in that, in that first marriage, I was more the abuser in that I was emotionally like very um, insensitive towards him. I was, I was all about like, you're not paying the bills. You're not, you're like, we're in trouble and what's wrong with you. <laughs> and uh -huh. so, so my ego work, if you want to call it that positioned me to become more emotionally sensitive. So that seven years I was becoming ready and empath. 
I, it is actually possible. I had never had those traits growing up. I was more like on the Asperger's spectrum kind of thing. Oh, interesting. Isn't that interesting? Which actually kind of makes me think when, you know, the scripture, when you turn to God, that God will take your weaknesses to your strengths. Yes. So I was also insensitive as a childhood friend. I didn't get why I was hurting my friends or how I was hurting my friends. I would just walk away. Um, I moved from, you know, a a close friendship and had no tears, you know, kind of thing. And, and so, yeah, growing up, like I didn't have, I wasn't structured that way. So it's actually possible to be, I think, restructured in, and what I would call this first awakening process is the process of the change of heart. That's really what it is. Yeah, absolutely. So that our, our DNA rewrites itself where they say every five years or something, because we are re you know our cells are turning over everything's turning over and so like every part of our body is renewed and i don't remember what how many year period it is but it's a really cool thing to think about how they're like oh you know your ancestral traumas in your gut and and if you Mm -hmm. get too much into some of these you might be like oh is it destiny or you know um it's already been predestined right and it starts to make you feel like what choices do I really have? But when you can go to this idea that our cells to our soul, everything can be renewed and made new, that what experiences we had in the past or what our biological gut is, because I've always hated that when they would say, you know, your ancestors. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I get to choose what influences stay with me. I get to choose that. Well, to some extent, and I also talk about a conscious curriculum. So mm-hmm. I think that's kind of what you're describing. Yeah. Like you, it, you don't, we're not just, you know, destined to live whatever life it is that we live. Yes. We're handed a set of circumstances, but we get to continually make new things with those circumstances. And when we start to think that we are trapped by our circumstances, we turn to like the anger, like you were describing Mm-hmm. Of how you turned on him and end up making it even more implosive implosive that's not a word explosive well I think I contracted more in my first marriage like I I you know if you want to call it that became my heart did not grow <laughs> if anything right 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 yeah yeah and so, so then it grew during this time where I was you know doing all this work on myself and finding all these tools and you know, tons of, you know, energy work and emotional release and all those fun things. So I had that set of tools when I, when I met husband number two and, and I basically went to God and said, you know, and, and I think the whole time there, it was like, I, my ego likes that control, likes, you know, that position. I think we Um, all like, some of us do. <laughs> I mean, ego, and there's ego structures yeah. that would rather have somebody else be in charge. Right. But and have, you know, you know, like, and just kind of give up their, their stewardship, their responsibility. Yeah. 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 And so I think that whole time I was afraid I was going to end up in a, in a relationship with someone who was going to have more power than I had. And mm-hmm. that is how it played out. In, in a lot of ways, like I, I had to really do a lot of surrendering in, you know, and we made, we made it six, 17 years. We don't know how. So yes, marriage number two didn't, it was, it ended almost a year ago. Um, it, I will say that he was the most powerful teacher of my life. It's kind of like marriage number one. He was a high school teacher. Mm-hmm. And two, it was like, he took me all the way through my PhD, literally uh-huh. um, on my dissertation. I put at the beginning of my dissertation from quantum university in my, in my PhD in natural medicine, I did a dedication and, and I gave credit to two parents who are PhDs and grandparents who, you know, they were scientists and, and it was fun, wow. but, but I also gave credit to my second husband, I said, because 
the curriculum he has offered me makes this PhD pale in comparison. Mm, powerful. And when yeah. he read that, he was like, he took credit. He was like, yeah, I'll take credit for that. Yeah. <laughs> he knew how hard it was. And yeah. for, for me to do the work of that 17 years, um, it's, I, I look back on it and yes, I raised kids during that, which was lovely. Oh was yeah. The lovely did, side did, of it. Am I remembering correctly? Did you have kids with your first husband? Yes, I had two. Okay. So I apologize. So what was amazing about, about my second marriage is that he fully embraced and accepted my kids and they call him dad. And so we raised a family together. Um, the downside of that was that at age 20 something, my older girls were saying, we don't intend to ever get married because of the example you have set for us. And that was heartbreaking. That was heartbreaking because the conflict that they watched between, and he, he admitted in therapy that he was a narcissist. Your first conflict wasn't just him. Mm -hmm. It was my reaction to him. Right. And that's, they, they held me equally accountable, if not more so. They yeah. didn't understand my pain. And I, and I think that's the part that's interesting to look at here is that in therapy, as he admitted, yeah, I'm a narcissist, you know, 10 years in, um, the therapy all got directed to me <laughs> and I started to realize I am exhibiting borderline traits. Now, right. if you remember, I actually described my first husband as borderline. Mm-hmm. And this is what I think is so interesting about it is but, that, you know, that you know, line that says we, we are the around like that. of the five people we spend the most time with. Oh yeah. I heard that. Right. You know, that you do take on, I mean, we're seeing that happening now with uh, trends. I mean, it's always been this, you know, way that, you know, teenage girls, especially because they're very, you know, want to fit in to stand out, which is kind of a funny thing about the, the teenage girl mind um, where boys, you know, want to stand out by their performance in sports you know, girls are want to wear the same kind of clothes as everyone else, you know, these kinds of things. But we're seeing that now with, um, you know, transgenderism, that the girls are literally in groups transitioning because they are spending time with each other and kind of feeding off of each other. And it's becoming the trend that used to be like we wore really bad eyeliner. Yeah. You know, and that these trends, but what you spend time around you become. Yes. And so I would agree with that where, as I'm kind of looking at where I ended up in that victims who spend time with victims. Yeah. It's like, it reinforces a victim mentality. So that's basically what was happening with me. And that's why a lot of victims become, you know, a lot of victims of sexual abuse become perpetrators of sexual abuse because flip-flops. You have that because these are the patterns and behaviors that they know. Mm -hmm. Well, and if you look at the drama triangle, so the drama triangle is victim. I call it victim, villain, vindicator. I think we talked about that last time too. Um, You'll see a pendulum go between the villain and the victim. And so if, you know, when you get to that point where you feel so powerless and And, you know, that's what would come out. And at times I would just go into a rage Mm -hmm. and it affected the whole family. So, so that's where I had to do the work. And it was, it was a deeper, harder level of work than I think I did do in the codependency pattern. Um, Because there really weren't programs for it. And that's the thing is that this became such a deep embedded structure, I had no idea how to solve it. I'd done 12 step work. I'd done spiritual. I've done emotional clearing. I did. And that was the problems I couldn't figure out. And I had a master's degree in psychology. You know, how do you fix it when you have all those things and none of those things are an answer? Mm. So that's um, a scary spot to be. <laughs> it's a scary spot yeah. to be. <laughs> so I have, I have three things I will share that you may okay. not we'll do a little drum anything. roll. <laughs> drum roll. Yeah. Well, a, a desk throb there, you know. Yeah. yeah. So the three things, and this is, and these are 
these are take, take a stretch. So I talked about the first awakening. The second awakening is a process of opening the third eye where sometimes you're, it, it kind of feels like you look, you look crazy. You can look crazy. <laughs> it, they actually say that if you're going through this process and you fill out an MMPI, which is a, a yeah, the, a psychological inventory, oh, okay. mm-hmm. inventory that you'll look crazy. Interesting. And, and I had someone at one point say, you know, you know, because I know you're spiritually inclined, he said, I'm not going to call it that. <laughs> okay. So are you saying if somebody fills out a psychological report, who's having a third eye awakening, who's basically going through that process of starting to evolve their intuition, their spiritual gifts, their, their clairvoyance, clairaudience, you know, these traits of, isn't that interesting? Well, I'm just, I'm a little bit stuck on the fact that they're saying, if I were to say, oh, I feel impressions uh that that would be that that test, I mean, people have been spiritual religious for a long time, that that test has not evolved or been adequate enough to well, understand. Because there's no, spiritual there's impressions. Really no room in the psychology field for spirituality. There really isn't. It doesn't yeah. fit well there. Which is, which is, uh, I have a friend who's a, a psychologist. He said, you know, that he realized they did a study that a lot of people who went through therapy, how many a year later said, that it helped them. Yeah. And it was something like 98% said it did not help them. Mm. um, It took, when he was talking about it, it took me back to a time that I was living in Oklahoma and my husband was in the military and I was having a lot of miscarriages. And so they gave me therapy appointments and I was in the therapy session with this, this gentleman that, you know, is, has all the degrees and I said something about what a comfort it was to me to know that those babies, and I'm, you know, very broken up about not being able to have children. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to feelings I had felt about, you know, my own mother and grandmother and, you know, things I had said in anger, like if my kids have to go through what I went through, I'll never have kids. So I was like, is this like some kind of cosmic curse, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Right. Anyway, I just said something about, you know, I just really want to hold to this concept that, you know, those children, I'll get to a hold one day. Mm. So I made a very religious thing that this kind of was giving me hope, right? Like if I could just feel that, I could feel better. And he just goes, now, 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 now. Let's not bring myths into your healing. Oh, wow. That's sad. I'm and so I was crazy. like, what? That's and I said, well, what, what are you offering me? Mm-hmm. What do you think healing looks like for me? Mm-hmm. Absent of, you know, my faith. Yeah. And he just went on this tirade about, and this is in Oklahoma, which people in a public restaurant are praying over their food. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. I mean, Oklahoma is religious. They are like openly Wednesday nights where it's church night. You won't see anybody in the stores because everybody's at church, right? The youth, Mm -hmm. everybody. So very religious and just slamming religion. And I just went, wow, I'd had eight sessions or whatever at that point. And I was like, you're completely wasting my time. Because even though I was going through what you would describe as a severe self-esteem faith crisis, I knew that spirituality and God were the only answers because otherwise there was no meaning mm-hmm. the losses that I had had. Yes. And the only thing he was offering me was meaninglessness. Mm. And so I went and got myself another therapist because it was paid for that, you know, we prayed together, <laughs> you know, and she'd awesome. hold my hands and be like, now there are, they are out there and especially, yeah. Well, you could find what, I mean, it was the cutest thing because, you know, I literally went and we went literally, it felt like prayer sessions because, and eventually the answer of course was that I would know those spirits again and that they would be mine. And I could not give into my anger and the unjustified and the unfair of it and the other therapists. But so it's just interesting to me that this, you know, 
it, how they would have viewed those two different therapists. The one therapist is like, she's crazy. And the other therapist is like, let's lean into the crazy. Yes. <laughs> because some, yeah. And that, that the movie crazy wise came out during a lot of this and it gave me a sense of like, okay, there's, there's an organization out there that recognizes that what looks like even psychotic level mental illness is actually could be reframed as someone on a spiritual path. Like someone who shows up in some cultures with those traits is, is put right on the shamanic path mm. rather than you mean that they're labeled. more in tune with other, other voices and things. The yeah, they will. Yeah. Back. Because they will okay. pick up on. And the problem is when they're picking up, when you pick up on darkness, because as this, the third eye opens, it's not discerning light and dark. It's just mm. picking up on whatever okay. is coming through. Wait. So you're saying that when this second awakening and the third eye, that that person is not mm -hmm. aware which one is God or not. You'll get both. You'll get, you'll get, you know, people who have that gift of seeing. Okay. Clairvoyance. Well, in fact, I watched the, the series medium. Oh my gosh. I am a total fan of. Okay. I haven't, <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen that either. It looks like I need yeah. to watch less bonus. You, you got a list. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a true story about a woman in Arizona who was, who became a, um, a consultant for the Phoenix police department, you know, Phoenix police department, because she was a medium and she would see the dark side of the crime. So like she could tap into like what, wow. you know, ugliness doesn't seem like a gift. I mean, yeah, I, exactly. It is like a curse. I cannot watch scary shows struggle. in any shape or form because yeah. I was exposed to some occultish things by someone in my childhood. Got it. Yeah. And I'm picking those words carefully because I don't need to call mm -hmm. them up. Right. Yeah. So I, you know, yeah. you just put on a scary tune and I'm in the other room. Yeah. Because and you I'm, want to protect I'm, yourself. Yeah. And I, I just, it's just not entertaining to me at all. So, you know? and I, so I've gone through those dark places. I've done, you know, battle with the darkness through my, I, that's what I'm saying process. is I have battled yeah. with the darkness that it's not, it's not, you know, what some people view as entertainment, I view as it's real and it's scary. Well, I just don't see why to, to a certain level, I like that I can sense it, even if it's not, you know, on a scale of one to 10, it's a 0 0.01, you know, so it's harmless to me. I'm like, why even touch it? Yeah. You know, and I'm not judging if you want to go watch a horror movie or something, but how many times do you see someone get slashed or whatever before it desensitizes you? And I want True. to be very, um, because it used to be triggering to me to hear certain things. I want to be able to call them out when I, when I see true evil. Yeah. So, and the discernment process is the goal of that second awakening, mm -hmm. but to get there, you've got to experience the polarity. So there's yep. a lot of polarization in it. And so I, I was literally diagnosed bipolar in this process. And I started to understand like what that comes from in my spiritual makeup. So for me, my spiritual, I had stronger feelings with the occult younger than I had with what I would describe as God. Oh, and so got it. when I mm -hmm. got to experience what God was, it was you know, the beauty of that. Mm. Yeah. The contrast was, is amazing. Yeah. It was just yeah. so like, I am so glad this exists mm -hmm. and it was, it became undeniable to me. But the problem is if you're exposed to darkness first, you might not ever believe there could be light. Yeah. And that's why it's so important. We give our children safety and love so that that you know, when they find the light, it's a welcoming home. Yeah. Yes. So you're ready for the solution solutions. To, I am. I yeah, am to deep. And this is part of it is that there's some deep structuring that can happen through like darkness can get in and embed the, in the ego structure. Yeah. Like twist, you know, like distortions 
Mm -hmm. So, so it was really hard for me to make sense of where I was at. So the first solution I found, it happened when I was, um, I was attempting to resolve my allergies with bee pollen and I had an allergic reaction, just like somebody who gets allergic to bee stings. I had an allergic reaction to the bee pollen, ended up passed out for like 30 minutes. Oh, were you alone? And I was alone and I was barely able to get a call in to my mom who called my husband at the time who sent a ambulance over to the house and we got to the ER and it was just like, so as I came out of this, I had what I would call body memories. So it was a really strange, surreal sort of thing. It was like, I felt pressure in certain places and and, and I would shake and I'd have different experiences that was like, where is this coming from? But it was like a memory that had come back up. Mm. And so sometimes people will have, you know, like a childhood memory that resurfaces. This was actually not my own childhood. This was actually a, I would call it another lifetime. Okay. So some people are okay. You know, like, how do you make sense of that? It's not so much a reincarnation story as I empathize we could say some of my empathic gifts happened before this life and i believe i i had an empathic experience with a woman who was in who was in the holocaust who was well she was actually being she was a a jew who who was being experimented on scientifically in the world war ii well that actually falls in line with what i have kind of categorized i mean i'm never going to you know i mean there's a whole entire religion that believes in reincarnation and you know that, you know what I mean? We all, yeah. we all get to believe what we believe and by their fruits, you shall know them, right? They're living good lives. So, um, but that's what I think it is, is that we were ministering angels. Yes. And, you know, so I'm just yeah. putting it in my Christian, right. That we were ministering yeah. angels and I've met enough people who've had these, I guess what you would call awakenings, this second awakening mm-hmm. that they're like, I had this experience and I know it wasn't me, but yet it was, so you have a whole story. Like you have details, you have images. Right. And I'm like, yeah. but you know, maybe we were just the ministering, you know, maybe it was an ancestor or someone we were close mm-hmm. to when we existed before we ever came to earth, you know, or we just, we were assigned to be the minister to that. And our soul is holding that wisdom and that experience. And maybe they are also ministering to us to say, this was my experience and let you have some wisdom from that without the actual physical experience of that, you know, yeah. so who knows if they're ministering us, we're ministering them, but we all know that spiritually we are all, if we're one with God and, you know, billions and billions of people are one with God, there isn't any commingling in the, the body of Christ, Right. Yeah. I'm kind of getting metaphysical Christian there on you. Yes. It's not fascinating. So I do. In fact, I was able to even identify her personality. And so my sense is that she was still earthbound. She was stuck. And my job became to understand her story and process with like together, we worked through this wound, this wounding, and it did connect back to you know, there was this representation of my husband at the time in this as well. So basically it it got worse before it got better, but I was able to externalize some of that. So I didn't, and I understand like why it was that I felt so, so victimized by his behavior. Mm. So it ends up being a story of the Jewish woman basically in a relationship with the Nazi. And if, physical relationship or an emotional that was the basically the archetypes he and i were okay okay oh wow so we were basically playing out these archetypes and it felt like the work i was doing with that was bigger than me it was you know it was and ended up writing a novel because you're saying it felt like intertwined with these characters these people that may may have lived with this yeah with this human wound basically Mm -hmm. Right. And he and I ended up going to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., which right is time. yeah, which is um, I, I, I love museums and I've been to a lot of museums. And when I and I also am very religious, we have in my faith temples that we believe are the house mm-hmm. of God. And 
I would say the Holocaust Museum has a similar feeling of sacredness to a temple. Mm, interesting. Yeah. That, that place has been blessed in some way that it is, it is sacred. Yeah. So, so I did, I worked with some very intuitive people during that time and, and one also a hypnotherapist. And so the hypnotherapy became part of the journey to resolve my triggers on a subconscious level, Mm. because that was one of those things I couldn't figure out. Like, okay, so we've got, you've got to become aware of where you are in the problem. Mm-hmm. You got to take ownership of that. You got to start yeah. developing your, your spiritual or empathic intuitive gifts, yes. right? Using the different words to make sure I'm following, right? Yeah. And then that when your second awakening happens, you've got to learn how to distinguish between what is good and what is evil. Yes. Following you. And, but also, I feel like, the quieting of the mind is a solution. So that kind of moves into the next solutions, but hypnotherapy worked with my limbic brain. So my limbic brain in my ego structure, which is the fight or flight part reacts. of our brain. Yes. The animal fight or flight, which is going right. to reaction mode and it it'll happen through subconscious triggers. So when you don't un- even understand, and that was part of it was like teaching my inner self, like what this was really helped me to detach from it more to look at it as like, I am here with this person. He's not a Nazi anymore. So to speak, he's not really, that's not all who he is. He has the archetype. Well, and the parallel is archetypes. Yeah. The parallels are there to be a lesson Yeah, to like hang him for his Nazi. Right. Exactly. And it, and it's possible to kind of detach from it because you realize an archetype is, is a metaphor. It is a story. And that's what I was learning during this time is I was learning to detach from being in the story Mm. to just telling the story. Okay. So this, I see why this is so powerful is because we get wrapped up in being a character. Yes. Use the story analogy. Being on the stand. If you've read, that's who we are. Right. And you've read these stories. Um, when I was a kid, we call it playing the tape because my mom had got it from this thing. And it would literally, you know, back in the day, you know, the cassette tapes, you know, where you, you couldn't rewind them. Oh yeah. Just, like literally physically press rewind or yes, a little yeah. pencil and rewound them. Right. Well, yeah. But it would be, she just put the tape in and it was like, you know, if it was two days later, the tape got picked up right where it'd been left off in yeah. her retelling this, this role that she was playing and all it took was somebody, you know, something to press play. Yeah. And she picked up this instead of being able to look back and, you know, she had realized she was simply a character. She had realized that what was happening was not that, you know, the dog got into the trash and therefore her children don't love her Mm. and her kids and her life and all these things. It was, you know, being this character instead of being like forced into a reaction from how she felt from her own childhood. Got it. Yes. Right? So the storytelling is huge. And that's, I literally wrote a novel. I haven't released it yet, but it's coming. Of, so, of your Jewish, of your of Jewish. This, yeah. So I positioned this modern yeah. day mental health therapist. Okay. This difficult marriage. <laughs> and find these journals up in mother, her mother-in-law's attic. They're written in German. Okay. Or two, you know, and, and then the second character is a woman in 1930s Germany who is, you know, is, is, and the, you know, and Hitler comes into power, you know? Right. So, so it's kind of, it's a cool story. It's currently titled love you once, but yeah, it's like, it's, it tells this story of like how it all fits together. It's slightly different. Interesting. Well, it sounds like a fun read. It should be a good read. Yeah. So that, yeah. So that's one. And the hypnotherapy was a huge part of that. Then the other thing. Because the hypnotherapy is, helps you break away from the story. It, it works directly with the subconscious to make sense. If you want to call it that. So basically to not be in reactionary lymphatic brain, yeah. this is my fight or flight to kind of break away it from pulls, that. 
that reactionary good. part of yourself. Yeah. So you're kind of observing it calms your the limbic reaction. Brain. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So the other thing to calm the limbic brain was meditation. So, so right around the same time, I um, was working with a former Buddhist monk. And so in, you know, in this series, at some point, I'll probably also have, you know, the side story, which is there's a monk in my basement. Okay. So as I was walking along and ran into my Al-Anon sponsor. So pull back Al-Anon. And she told me it was like 12 years later. She tells me that she's been following Thich Nhat Hanh. And that's like a, like Dalai Lama kind of Buddhist teacher. Um, he just passed away this year, but, but she tells me this, you know, that there's a monk in her basement. Like there's literally a monk in her basement yeah. <laughs> from Tibet, from India, from India. Uh-huh. And I got to consult with him, Nithya Shanti, his name. And as I worked with him, I discovered the power of some of these Buddhist principles in calming the mind and the power of meditation as a true like experience of silence and peace. And so eventually I developed my own version of that called quantum wholeness meditation. And I ended up, that's what I did my dissertation on is the power of this style of meditation. I actually worked with couples who were in conflict and found that it reduced their um, physiology that changed wow. the physiology together. So like the cortisol. Yeah. The cortisol, response. the blood pressure, the heart rate. Mm-hmm. And so, and then I discovered Gottman had already figured out that if you can change the physiology in a couple, well, actually what he figured out is that physiology will determine whether a couple stays together or not. Like that was 95% accuracy. If your physiology, if you are not physiologically safe in your relationship, you won't stay together. Even if it's not physical abuse. If you go too overactive in your limbic brain and your nervous system, your, you will, your, your sense Mm -hmm. of safety will override. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. So when we talk about chemistry, yeah, it's, it's not just if you have sexual attraction, but if you can also be in silence and feel safe. Yes. That's interesting that. Yeah. So I didn't know all that, but that, you know, that was a journey. And so I discovered the power of meditation for my own well-being, but it's also tied to the ego structure. So the third solution is that I pulled out my book, of course, Miracles again. So I'd had it. I got it back in 2005 at a Hay House conference and was kind of in and out of that book. And it became like a part of my curriculum. And so, of course, the Miracles is basically a text on managing your ego. And your with pride the your, right. with the, that Christ is the solution to the ego. Right. Because is, Christ yeah. gives us an opportunity to abandon, relinquish the things that we can't resolve. Yes. And there's truth in the experience of light and, you know, and, and that's what it's teaching. Now, I want you to it. finish that there's truth and light and darkness and they, well, and there's a, there's a big problem in our world when we don't, when we deny the God, when we deny the evil, then we are innocent and can be easily preyed upon by darkness. And so it is important to understand the contrast of these two, because that's part yeah. of that awakening. Right. And yeah. part of the recovery is understanding that good and evil exist, you know, light, and dark. Yes. That's part of the second awakening. The third awakening is more of an experience of light is all. That's what a course of miracle teaches. Mm-hmm. Light is all. Yeah. And if, and there's no reason to fear if light is all there is. Right. It's different. It throws it throws the ego into like a state of like, well, wait, where do I belong then? If all there is, is light, there's no. Yeah. And that's, that's no an place. age old complaint that people have against the concepts of religion is because if you look at basically from Buddhism to Hinduism to um, is it Shantism, which is kind of like the precursor to um, the Muslim faith, um, you know, they all have 
and, you know, of course, Christian religions, um, they all have this concept that we get assumed into a heavenness, mm-hmm. right? And they describe that a different way, but people are like, so if I'm assumed into this heaven, then where is my individuality? So God's just going to morph me into being like everybody else, you know, when you don't realize we each get to bring what our uniqueness is. And we get like, you're learning from this Jewish lady. We get to have, I mean, that's what I think heaven is, is I get to sit down with somebody who lived, um, you know, 3000 years ago, 5,000 years Mm. ago and learn their experience and their wisdom, which will reinforce me to the ultimate, you know, that I'm a part of them and they're a part of me. Right. Yeah. In that sense, because I've learned their story in a way that we can't share stories here. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I'm just growing and becoming more and more radiant light or goodness or godlikeness because I'm learning and progressing for millions and millions and millions of years. Yeah. It's amazing. Without, with, you know, darkness being bound. Mm. Right. Cause that's what heaven is, is it's an absence of the evil. And if you read the Bible, which I'm a big fan, you know, it's most read, yeah. most purchased, you know, most published book of all time. You know, that a lot of times people are like, there's no way that the earth flooded with all that water. Where's the archaeological evidence, you know? It, but, you know, it's, it's, it, it almost, when you were talking, it was like, these are different awakenings, mm. you know, that the earth has gone through. Yeah. So, just tradition, we believe the flood is talking symbolically or literally. I'm not really worried about which one of a baptism of the earth. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Right. You know, like yeah. maybe it was just the biggest, lake they had ever seen you know i mean like you know it's like we we can't tell stories in a wholeness with human brains yeah right with consciousness because ego and how does affect me and all of that gets involved and that sounds kind of like what you've been describing is this process of letting go of how you want the story to go letting go of how you want the outcome to be there's two what is it that I am to learn and to become from this experience from mine, hers, their experience. Right. And how so, the, yeah. end, the light, the God, journey. Christ yeah. is, is going to, it's going to win. It's going yeah. to take the prize. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it is like, we don't have to wait till the next life to experience this heaven. Mm-hmm. You know, it is really something that can be claimed here and now. Which was what I, I said with the death of my daughter, that whatever darkness you're exposed to, you're entitled to the equality of light. And I said that in relation to my sexual mm-hmm. abuse, the sexual abuse that I, happened in my childhood. But I know certain things about the nature of God because of the abuse I endured as a child because of the extreme loss of a child Hmm. that I know that I would die for. So, yeah. So then I would question before, you know, you know, that story Hmm. a few years ago where, um, I can, I remember the name of the university, but it was like in Northeast America somewhere where a man went up to somebody and said, do you believe in God? And he had a gun and the Hmm. guy said, yeah. And he shot him killed him and then the next person they said do you believe in christ or whatever the question was but it was a a god or christ question and they said yeah and they shot him before and i think three people and there was somebody that was passed over and i thought to myself if somebody had a gun at my head the first person they didn't know you know what the action was going to be right Mm -hmm. but the second person did yeah and the fourth and fifth and third, right? That like there yeah. were people that were passed over for not saying they believed. I would die for that knowledge, or I would stand in front of God ashamed that I hadn't. And that if that's not an awakening, that's huge. Really important. Yes. You know, I wouldn't die for my house. Yeah. You know? It's, yeah. And I went through my own like Gethsemane process through that 
relationship. And, and that's what it felt like at times it was like, do you really want this solution enough to go through that? And I would say yes. And I would take a deep breath and I'd walk through the next part of the journey. And, and it was like, I endured. Yeah. And I both, um, so now I can say that when I got to that point where it was like, I'd accomplished this journey, he and I became deep, close friends. And I will emphasize friends because by the end of it, we knew that we didn't have a marriage and that's not what we were showing our children. I didn't wish that. And that's where I, I finally let go because I did not wish that kind of relationship on my kids. And I realized if I wanted to see something different for them, I had to choose something different for me. And that was the next part of it is to trust myself and my soul enough to step away a year ago. And our divorce was miraculous, absolutely miraculous. And the connection he and I have, we assume will be eternal as deep friends, student, teacher, teacher, student, family. Well, that's, um, and we raised a family together and that is still real. And sounds like that relationship too. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a romantic, you know, for, for eternal marriage and I want everyone to find their person and be with them forever, you know? Yeah. Um, but you know, when it's, when that's not possible for whatever reason, at least you guys have found a deep love and respect for each other. And uh, how can that not be good? Yes. And yeah, and, and God had it the whole time and was preparing me for a soulmate relationship. And so I had to do the soul work. Yeah. And that's what, that's what I believe that. So out there, you believe this is um, helping to free you up that you can have, find your person. I found him. Oh, you found him. I already found him. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yes. When when did you guys meet? It was 2022 was quite the year for me. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. So my divorce was final in April. I put it on my vision board. I was ready, you know, um, to attract where my soul had always, I felt like been. And the first month that he, he was ready for that. And, um, we met in August of that same year. Like, so April to August. Wow. Well, the big sister in me is like, that's pretty fast. fast. (laughs) Um, yeah. So how but it was, took forever. It took forever. Yeah. In that sense. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. not everybody gets their, their soul person the first time, like I did. And yeah, um, you know, I, 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 my husband's name means the gift. Mm, that's cool. That's His awesome. name is Nathan and it means the gift. And our son is Nathaniel, which means the gift of God. And, yeah. but you know, my husband, I, for whatever reason, because of I'm guessing that the trauma of my childhood had, I had that. I do think God gives us what we can handle when we're trying to follow him, but not more than we think we can bear. You know, like we will be on our knees, like, ah, but had I gotten somebody that would have been abusive, I um, would have had a whole lifetime of abuse because I Mm -hmm. didn't get yeah, that's not safety fair. in childhood. So for whatever yeah. reason, I wish I had the magical eternal answer for, cause not everybody, some women get, you know, or men have abuse from their childhood on. Right. So for whatever reason, I, I got a reprieve and I'm mm-hmm. very thankful yeah. for that Thank because goodness. my God, it's a big story, but God brought my husband and I together. And it was like, you two are getting married. Well, yes. Oh, I know how that one goes. Okay. So <laughs> August, you guys um, have been together almost a year now. Well, yeah, we've been married six months. Yeah. But I mean, since you met in in August, so, well, I like how this story ends. Does the story 
end well for our Jewish friend? It's interesting. I think, yeah. Or am I asking you to spoil the book? Yeah, I won't spoil the book. Okay. Um, it's resolved in the next life kind of thing, you know, right. Which, yeah. Which, you know, a lot of people who went through the Holocaust, that's, that's where it gets resolved. Yeah. Yeah. My daughter loves reading world war II books and she'll be like, mom, you got to read this. And I'm like, I know how it is. I don't want to read everybody's dead. Oh, I've been able to <laughs> tap into the Jewish culture though, on the other side. And it's been really interesting. I've honestly had an impression that the woman who received a course of miracles has passed on mm-hmm. and she was part Jewish. And it's really interesting how that book appeals to Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's this sense of like, she's, she's supporting the healing of those Holocaust victims because I, that's my experience with the one I tapped into is that the forgiveness work was still hadn't been done. Okay. So you want to hear a cool theory of mine? Yeah. Okay. So I actually shared a Facebook post about this, but because I said God too much, Facebook suppressed it, you know? Oh yeah. If you say, if you say, if you say God too much, Facebook is like, ah, you know, um, yeah. So my, my spiritual posts don't get seen as well, but I still put them out there anyway. Um, in the, the Egyptian religion, they believe that the, the mother goddess is comforting the spirits of those who've endured life. Mm. And she's like bringing them into being able to be able to receive, you know, their, their heaven. And mm-hmm. I love this idea of our heavenly mother. Cause we know that all these ancient religions are, you know, because there's so many commonalities that there's a redeeming God in every religion. I mean, I think it's just, you know, God gave us truth and then we kind of moved it around to suit different things. And that's why there's so much differences, but it all is to me, I can see the common threads where it's like, it all came from the ultimate source. Right. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I love this idea that our heavenly mother, that when we die, takes us into her arms and she's familiar to us. Mm-hmm. And she's like, now there, I've got you. Oh, right. Yeah. I'm here for you. I'm, and you know, in the Bible, we know that, you know, mankind means man and womankind, that God means heavenly, heavenly father, heavenly mother, and their son, Jesus Christ, right? But that because of Victorian interpretations, you know, um, you know, the women were, you know, kind of edited out a little bit, right? But I also think God doesn't want us using his wife's name in vain. Yeah. And, and, but she oh, is I love so getting busy. in touch with divine feminine. She's so busy. Yeah. Taking the <laughs> souls that pass and comforting them. And yeah. I just love that. And especially because I do a lot of work with sexual abuse recovery. You know, that when you think yeah. of a child um, that is taken and tortured and used mm-hmm. for um, their body and then their body parts you know, the that's, child that's yeah, there's to things that are so traumatizing and that's the only, the only solution I found to that is some of these consciousness level things. So, mm-hmm. um, so our, we have a group that meets, we have, we meet several times a week, um, called miracles and meditation, but we study a course in miracles and we use this quantum wholeness meditation process. And it, and it brings a level of healing that like, consciousness can heal in ways that the physical doesn't even comprehend. Yeah. And, and so that's At what the end of the day, our bodies are just was what we're wearing know, in this yeah. life. Well, some of the just, trauma that is, yeah. is happening in our humanity is what inspired these groups. Cause I couldn't figure out another solution, mm-hmm. but it's, we're seeing the results of it. We're actually working on a book together. And it'll explain basically our experience with studying A Course in Miracles as a lot of us are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or have, you know, a different, you know, background, because obviously we don't grow up studying this, but, um, but we're drawn to it because it offers a miraculous level of hope. Mm-hmm. In which is complete, the highest vibration. Complete happy ending. Complete right. happy ending. And to me... Um, <laughs> You know, I, I'm, I'm always willing to have people have their different beliefs. Yeah. But I would be ungrateful to say that if it doesn't lead us to Christ, 
it can only take us so far. If it doesn't yes, take exactly. our redeeming God, to- right. And like different people yeah. will call that, um, you know, by different names. And I think God will work all that out, but you know, it all has to go back to the concept of the deity that redeems. Yes. And I call that Christ, you know, so Wonderful. what a way to yeah. end, right? Absolutely. Thank <laughs> there you. We go. Thank you, Christine, for Thank going you. so deep and so vulnerable and being so humble about owning your part in this. Yeah. Because that I think is a huge thread through what you've shared in these two episodes that if you're not willing to take accountability, which is to me, one of the juiciest, most mm-hmm. like accountability is probably the sexiest trait I can even yes, put a phrase on. Sure. My husband is like one of those radically accountable people. And I know that's why, um, you know, our physiology, f- physiological chemistry is that is you work together because he yes. is so accountable. And yeah. in order for us to really thrive as human beings, we have to be able to be accountable because that leads to humility and humility leads to coming to God through repentance or abandonment or whatever we need to do. Yeah. And whatever way that works. Yeah. Whatever. My husband and I are on our way to AA right now. I love it. We have a recovery partnership. (laughs) You are amazing. I love it. Thank you so much, Christine, for being on this episode of Share Your Hotness. And as always in the show notes will be how you can reach out to Christine. Thanks. Okay. 